and action! Hello and welcome to episode 342 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and high-end TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to royally F them up. Yay! Uh, Welcome (laughs) to the show. Thank you so much for listening. You are all amazing. You're on the road. Especially you. To making your next film. On today's show, we have returning guest, returning champion, amazing guy, fantastic filmmaker. It is Rob Savage. Savage by name, savage by nature, but actually not savage by nature. No, very nice by nature. And he's here to talk about his latest film, The Boogeyman. Rob Savage, if you don't know, um, is the director of the very successful Host. It was the lockdown movie um, that went viral because... For a whole host of reasons. For a whole host of reasons. I feel like I might have already done that on the pod, but... Yeah, you did, but you've done it now, yeah, earlier, so now you'll people will hear it again. Yeah. Your pun later. Well, they'll get to enjoy Rob's reaction if it does come later. So. If there is that, if, if I don't cut it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a dash cam which came out uh, last year, or just, just the end of last year before, which... We were all dashing to see. We were all dashing to see. <laughs> Rob had made a feature film when he was younger, uh, which was called Strings, uh, which he made for very little money. And then he went on to make some fantastic short films, including Dawn of the Death and Salt, before he made a massive splash with Host. But he's here to talk about The Boogeyman, the fantastic new feature film based on Stephen King's short story. And also uh, co-written, uh, the story is by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, some of our previous episode friends. The amazing Beck and Woods, who are uh, the directors of Haunt, brilliant horror film if you've not seen it, and of 65, which is out now with Adam Driver, and they're the writers of The Quiet Place. So a pretty... Amazing duo to have in your corner, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they have been on the podcast. They're probably coming on again very soon. What I like about this as well is that, um, I mean, there are some parallels with, with Quiet Place with this film, but it's, I do see it as like a high concept of drama horror. Um, yes. And that's partly down to them, and that's, that's you know, also very much down to Rob. And, and the cast, and the let's cast, name yes. those casts, yeah. Dom. So, so Sophie Thatcher, um, Vivian Lyra Blair, David Dust Malchian, uh, Madison Who, Chris Messina, Marin Ireland are some of the incredible cast. I mean, the daughters are just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, Sophie Thatcher and Vivian Lyra Blair, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just really believable, like totally plausible as, as sort of teenagers. Um, just really, really solid like drama performances. David Dust Malchian. Uh, is just he, he comes in and blows away his scenes, mm-hmm. uh, and Christmas scene is a great dad. So it's a it's a good, very good all round cast. It very much is. Uh, the cinematography was by Eli Bourne. Not only did Beckham Woods write it, but they also produced it as well. Uh, it is a fantastic movie. Both me and Dom loved this, and it really, really goes to show what you can do uh, if you really put yourself out there. So, what did we talk about? On this podcast, Dom. Well, we talked about how the Boogeyman came to Rob and developing the project. We discussed casting the incredible actors and getting great performance in horror dramas. 
and we also talked about how to shoot scares in big horror scenes. And we talked about how he got in the room, how he pitched to the studio. It's that all-important thing. We all want to get in the room. How did he get in the room, and then what did he do when he was there to win uh, the role of director for The Boogeyman? Also... Lighting. We talked about lighting mm. and a very special moon ball uh, that's used throughout the movie and how a lightsaber and Disney helped create a defining image by him not using it. Thanks, Star Wars. <laughs> we also talk about why mistakes and major obstacles become your chance to create. So, there we go. It's it's an incredible episode. He was very generous with his opinions on filmmaking and directing and so many tips and tricks for you as filmmakers to go out there and make your films and make it happen for you and make that big step up because you can do it. Yeah. Rob Savage is perfect proof of that. That's coming up for you very, very soon. But next week we have Chevalier director Stephen Williams joining us and not only that yeah we're going to be chevalier that into your ears we definitely are because he was fantastic oh they, they were all fantastic I mean yeah, we've got are. Stephen we've, we've got Lucy Boynton we've got Kelvin mm. Harrison Jr I mean like all three of them were just such nice people really nice like, really yes nice. yes well with Lucy and Calvin Calvin has been on the podcast before talking about Serrano um, and they were just so much fun because we did that one live in the room videos and those ones are just frightening and fun and mysterious and really odd things happen yeah. um, but Stephen was on Zoom and we just chatted and shot the breeze and it was brilliant yeah. so that's coming up for you next week Chevalier should be out on Friday uh, so go watch that and then listen to the podcast speaking of movies oh. with the Emmys coming up and the Razzies more importantly yes yeah. <laughs> come on where are you going with this <laughs> I heard that the, the, the Stranger in Our Bed had been nominated <gasps> for a Razzie? No, stop Even it, better, mean. even better, for the National Film Awards. It has, thank you very much, uh, Dom. They have been popping up those notifications of late. Yes, we did get nominated for Best Thriller uh, for The Stranger in Our Bed, the film I directed. Uh, it is out now, you can go watch it on Sky Movies, but what I'd really like from you is to go vote for it, because it's a public vote, a uh, link to it is in the show notes, so just show some support. For me as a filmmaker, actually, it'd be really nice. Uh, go click the link. It takes you uh, a couple of minutes. Fill in the form and just say, yeah, The Stranger of Bed was the um, best thriller. Why not? Uh, and go watch it. You know, support us that way as well. Uh, it really costs like a couple of quid now. You might even be able to get it for free somewhere. But um, yeah, support indie filmmaking. Yeah. Support us. The National what? Film Awards, baby. Nominated. Woo. Yeah. Dom, have you voted? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, you better be doing it now. You better yeah, get on it. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely do that. Definitely. It's going to do it good. I'll check your name. I'll check. I'll be awesome. No, I won't. Oh, oh I know, the pressure. Um, speaking of uh, exciting news, mm. you've got some exciting news. Another cinema tour. Yeah, another day, Tell another us. cinema tour. Um, so, <laughs> Mar- <laughs> Mariana Deans, um, sci-fi spectacular. Um, has got a cinema run. It's actually on at the moment, running throughout June for nine special days. Obviously, some of them have already happened, but there is plenty left to go and see. What is the film called, Dom? Breaking Infinity. Woohoo! To Breaking Infinity and beyond! Possibly breaking box off records as well. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's see. How exciting. Okay. Uh, do you need to send me a link and I'll put it in the show notes? I do, yeah. If you go to the show notes, it's not there. That's because Dom hasn't sent me a link. 
So, or, or Giles is lying. Yes, or I'm lying and just didn't do it. <laughs> but Breaking Affinities in cinemas around the UK. Go watch, go support uh, indie films. Do what you can. Right, let's get to it. This is myself. Oh, we haven't even said who we are. I'm Giles Alderson. Who the hell are you? I'm Dom Lenoir. No one cares. Uh, but here is... About are you or, or both of us? <laughs> both of us, both of us. No one cares. I think someone cares. Actually, speaking someone of people cares. caring, yeah. we have yeah. had a lot of very nice... Um, feedback from feedback of our Little Mermaid episode uh, where yes. Rob Marshall and John Luca sung our praise and said how nice it was to chat to us and how we've got, got that it factor and how <laughs> we're genuine <Yes>. filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> They're clearly making it up. It's nice to hear and it's nice it that is. we've had audiences who also appreciate it because you know, we do it for the audiences and to meet these people and it's all a big cycle uh, and everything's connected yeah thank you so much for those who listened we love you so much uh, and appreciate you and I really hope this podcast helps you go out there and make your films because that's what it's about right let's get to it this is myself and Dom Noir who we now have introduced talking with Rob Savage the director of The Boogeyman it's out now in cinemas go watch it go boogie on down brilliant Uh, before we get to Rob we're going to play the trailer Enjoy. When there are scary things we don't understand, our minds try to fill in the blanks. Sometimes the best thing to do is to face it. So this light is going to be completely solid like it is right now. Then gradually, it's going to start flashing until it's totally dark. So you can see that there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay? See, that's not so scary, is it? Just you, your sister, and me. You're doing okay. It's not for you. It's okay. It's okay. just in your head. Katie, there's something in my room. You believe me, don't you? There's no such thing as monsters. You need to grow up. I'm serious, Sawyer. I need to be alone. You're both having these manifestations. What is this supposed to be? It's the thing that comes for your kids when you're not paying attention. Dad, you have to listen to me. Okay. I'm listening. Sweetheart, let me handle it. Yeah. 
How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm a little jet lagged. Yeah. But, um, yeah, at least you can relax here. No, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. If I relax too much, I'll start uh, snoozing. It's a nice vibe in here. We yeah. Were in, a, in a hotel room, it's, there's a comfortable couch. Yeah. Some nice chairs. Yeah. We did, uh, when we were doing the, the uh, press junket in LA, we had a closet door behind me ah. while I was being interviewed by, by all the journalists. And then at the end of the interview... A creature would jump out. Oh, you see, get a get a, a, Did that a put you in trauma, like waiting for the creature. <laughs> oh no, I was. It was great because, oh, okay. like, any time they asked me a difficult question, I was like, just you wait. Just you deploy wait. the deploy the uh, creature. But this is we're literally in the middle of an empty room, so you couldn't be more safe. Yes. Okay. Now I like the idea of jumping out. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's quite. Did it did it go wrong? Did any of those moments? Well, the where it first went person who who the creature jumped, it went too well, and she actually she, she tried to run. She had to make a break for it and wow. fell over, tripped over her heel. And uh, and you could see everyone from Disney in the room oh. freeze. Yeah, like, uh-oh. You could see, Insurance, yeah, lawsuit, lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with Disney as well, because obviously yeah, yeah. they've got that family-friendly sort of vibe. Yeah, it's ain't family-friendly. Yeah. No, no, it's not. No, no, Bo- no, it's not. Boogie yeah. Man is definitely it's, uh, not. It's a savage movie. I, mean, yeah. I just wanted yeah. to get the pun out of the way early. Nice, that's but, on the poster now. <laughs> <laughs> the filmmakers podcast say a savage movie yeah it's just fact it's yeah. just yeah. fact it's actually brilliant we yeah. really love this movie oh yeah. thank you me we, too we were yeah. good we were nudging each, yeah. each other yeah. like throughout well actually yeah you, no, you're not gonna do it again are you he's you, yeah. made this joke about 15 times about but me jumping did, onto his he lap he did jump did. on me no he didn't <laughs> jump on my lap but he did grab me a few times i, I did a, i did a fake grab you know when you're like yeah, yeah. excellent a fake grab fake, fake grab but there was there was jumping there definitely was jumping yes and i you know i like i like horror but i'm not as much of a horror expert as, as giles and i found it really compelling also on a drama sort yeah, of sort yeah. of level like I, mm. you know the, the the central relationships were just incredible really really well yeah. thought out and um, let's let's talk about that let's talk about how it came to you yeah and and that whole thought process behind it obviously being a, a well-known movie anyway but also yeah you know what you brought to it was honestly incredible that like, was that was what i thought that that was my pitch basically to the studio i was I, I said i want this movie to be ordinary people meets poltergeist so i want it to be mm-hmm. it's going to be fun it's going to be you know it's going to be a ghost train ride mm. but also when we're when we're dealing with these characters and this experience of grief that they're going through we want this to feel like it's taken from a a prestige drama as opposed to just some kind of flippant um you know let's just rush past this to get to the scares kind yeah. of horror movie yeah. um and part of that you know part of that was casting mm. all these incredible actors to to bring weight to those scenes but part of it was also just making sure that it wasn't um we weren't kind of easily moving through this process which anyone you know anyone who's who's been through a loss knows that it's 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 tangled and it's messy and we wanted to speak to that in the movie or mm. a, or a sort of a poltergeist scaring anyone who's been through that mm, yeah anyone's been through that we want to be authentic to that as well, well it's it, true it, when, when i was a kid you got scared by a ghost yeah i i was i was convinced there was a poltergeist in the loft and you know when you get yeah. so convinced yeah. that you start playing on the it joke with your real. friends it became this real yeah. thing it wasn't real but it but, became yeah. you know what i mean but, with, yeah. but that's the, that's the thing and that was the other thing that i thought i could bring to this is like, like i remember i remember being that terrified kid you mm. know waking up and and being too scared yeah. to call out for my parents and yeah. just like staring frozen into the dark corner of my room imagining what could be lurking there and i felt like uh uh you know if i could bring audiences back to that feeling it's you know it's a familiar setup it's the boogeyman it it lives in your closet it lives under the bed it lives in the basement so it's 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 um it's familiar but it wanted i wanted to kind of um 
make that familiarity almost a, a, a kind of weaponize that against the audience mm. to, to 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 kind of uh, put everyone back into that position of being that terrified kid again. I, I really like what you said about mm. prestige drama. Um, because I think James Cameron said about, you know, in, in action, the sort of equivalent of action is if you don't care about the characters, the action is pointless. Like yeah. It has to drive the narrative. And like I found, I mean, I think why I like this film so much is kind of like Quiet Place. It's mm. basically, it is, for me, it's almost more of a drama that has exceptional horror moments in the sort of the genre of it. Yeah. But you, you really care about those, you know, scares and you don't rush the scares. I think that's another thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what's really interesting as well is, is the, the filmmaking aspect that you've sort of taken because there's very good performances and there's also extreme use of cinematography to, yeah. to build the film. So could you maybe talk about how you planned the creative side, um, you know, where, where you start yeah. from in a script? You know, okay, you've got it. We'll come back to the studio stuff later, but mm. you've got through the point where you've got the script. Yeah. How do you start working with both the characters and plotting those moments from a visual storytelling point of view well um so i i developed this script with with mark Heyman, who it, it, there was already a draft by beckenwoods when i came on board which was very different um had had some great ideas in it and we we some of those some of those are in the movie a lot, a lot of it isn't um but i was able to work with mark to build in a lot of my visual ideas into the script so everyone was kind of keeping pace with where my mind was at as they were reading draft after draft of this script. I was storyboarding. I was, um, uh, you know, sending stuff to Mark and Mark would be sending stuff back to me and we'd be, um, it, it was super collaborative. Um, so by the time we had this script, a lot of that was, a lot of that was baked in. Um, and a lot of that was storyboarded as well. I storyboarded this entire movie, um, before we started shooting. Um, not that we stuck to it, but it was there, you know, it was there just as, as a safety net in mm. case, um, in case we were out of ideas on the day. And um, then it becomes about making sure that you never lose sight of uh, the performance and the character motivation within those scenes. You know, there are, there are horror movies that have incredible scare sequences, but they're just technical exercises because the actor is just looking from A to B, you know, and you can get a sense of the director being like, and now, you know, look up, act shocked, back up two steps, hit your mark. And I didn't want that to be the feeling of these scare scenes. I wanted the, this this incredible level of performance to feel um, to feel like it permeated through the drama scenes and the scare scenes. And part of that was just casting these incredible actors. Part of that was explaining, inviting them in as collaborators in these scenes, making sure that um, and making sure as well that that there was a journey, there was an emotional journey through the scenes, as rather than just a kind of mechanical. Uh, journey through the scenes you know like speaking of action the the reference that i always use and i think this is true of action scenes this is true of horror scenes this is true of musical numbers you have to the character has to be a different person on the other end of the sequence they have to have gone through some kind of journey and the, the example that i always use is um in peter jackson king kong mm -hmm. uh there's the scene where uh it starts out with um uh, who's the who, who's she playing? Nat, Nat, no, who's the who's the lead actress in that? Uh, Naomi Watts. Naomi, Naomi Watts. Watts. She yeah. she starts running away from Kong, and then there's the big T Rex fight, yeah. and then by the end of that sequence, which is just a, a it's like a twenty minute slugfest of of King Kong fighting dinosaurs. At the start of that scene, she's running away from Kong. Mm -hmm. The end of that scene, she's running towards him because he's protecting her, and their entire relationship 
changes over the course of a scene of a, a you know giant ape punching dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So it's, like it's like the perfect it's example monkeying of around storytelling. Yeah. yeah, of storytelling through action through monkeying around. And it's the same thing with same thing with this guest scene. There's got to be a journey for the actor to be able to play, mm. or else they're just looking from A to B to C and hitting their marks. Mm. And you did that brilliantly. Like so, the build up to this was just everything just kept eking up mm. a notch and a notch and a notch. And the use of props, the use of light, yes. was just remarkable. Mm. It was kind of like oh, okay, she's she's holding this. Yeah, we talked about that. We yeah. talked about the, the fact that she was holding this. The moon ball. ball. The moon yeah. ball. And yet, what a brilliant prop that was. Complete accident as Serious? well, that prop. Yeah, so originally it was going to be a lightsaber, a toy lightsaber, that ah. was going to start to malfunction in, in an Disney, you way. can use Star Wars lightsaber, That's, potentially. You would think that, wouldn't you? You would think that. But um, I, right. I, I totally forgot that we had cast... Um, the ball. Young, no, we didn't cast the ball yet. The ball was still, the ball was still in the audition phase. But uh, we had this. We had uh, Vivian Lyra Blair who plays young. Uh, uh, what's her name? Young Princess young. Leia. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole scene was based around. She's got this kind of knockoff cheapo lightsaber that starts to malfunction, and Disney obviously didn't like the idea of Princess Leia with a kind of a knockoff malfunctioning right. lightsaber. It's mm. not a good look, which yeah. makes total sense. Total sense. Um, yeah. The last time I told this story, an article came out saying, Disney censors filmmaker. Like, it was oh, kind yeah. of not, 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 the, not, not the case. case. Totally get it. moment. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, it led us to probably our best <clears throat> prop and our best scene in the movie, mm. which is this, this moon ball that we just, me and the, the design team basically spent an afternoon just Googling, like, kids toys that light up and we found this 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 moon ball it was like that'll do that's great and then quickly rewrote those scenes and ends up being the definitive image of the movie yes because that ball rolls and when it rolls story thing it's a total story because you're waiting to see what she sees and obviously if the ball's over there she's now in the dark but if the ball goes there what do we see in the dark it felt genius it yeah. felt and i'm so glad that you came out of a something else because that's the, what the best filmmaking is it right? almost always Mistakes. ends up with something better i mean yes. i hate to say it because in the moment it always feels like all yeah. is lost but yeah mm. well, ball, is always, lost. <laughs> ball is lost <laughs> he's gonna keep doing this <laughs> <laughs> so so was that was that the only source of light because we were from filmmakers we, we were sort of interested was there like very small sort of fill lights that were hidden around or, or for those scenes we did you try and use just the ball there was moonlight through the windows and i think there was a bounce on the ceiling but like uh, <laughs> bouncy ball on the ceiling and um but yeah but i mean you know one of the th- i mean eli is a ge- is a genius eli born who, who shot this movie um and uh this is this is one of the first things that i've shot that looks just exactly mm. how i wanted it to look it's it's he's he's uh he was able to to crawl inside my head and and pull these images out and and uh come up with so many so many unexpected beautiful moments that uh Mm. but i think one of the things that i love the most about eli is how unfussy and fast he is Mm. um not that speed is necessarily a problem we had we had time we shot this over 34 days we had a good for you good schedule yeah i mean we shot host over six days or something so yeah um but he but he a lot of times would um you know, we were trying to ground this. We were trying to make this this movie beautiful and rich visually, but also grounded. And and uh, a lot of times he'd, you know, he'd he'd bounce a light on the ceiling and and put a little bit of something in the windows, and then he'd turn on a death side lamp and be like, "I think that's pretty good. Let's go." And you'd wow. be ready, and you'd be ready in ten minutes. 
Um, Which is perfect for yeah. you as, yeah. as, as a director when you've got the actors maybe primed, they're ready, or yeah. you're getting in the zone, you're rehearsing, and the DP turns around and says, yeah, we're ready. Yeah. What a joy. Completely. Because right. the thing that I love spending the most time on is, is performance. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure that the actor in, in those moments doesn't feel rushed, doesn't feel pressured, um, and that we can also play around. Like, I'm a director who really likes to try um, different things and try and discover the scene in collaboration with an actor as opposed to um, coming with a kind of uh, predetermined idea of what the scene is and then trying to just force the actor into that little box that I've created. So, so how does that collaboration start with you? So we, we, we've already cast the actors, we've got them to the script. Do you like to sort of discuss potential choices or interpretations like early? Do you like to do any kind of rehearsal or do you like to keep it quite fresh? Like what was the process for this with the, let's, let's talk about the sort of the, the two um, daughters. Yes. Um, we tried to, we tried to rehearse a little bit. I, 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 I go back and forth on it. To be honest, I haven't done enough um, uh, of these this scale of movie to to um, to know really what my process is on that. On this one, we did a bit of rehearsal. We had a lot of time on the day, not a lot of time, but we had enough time on the day to kind of um, play around with the scene. The, the the approach that I've that I've taken over the last few years, and I've been getting better and better at, at working with actors to the point where now it's like my favorite my favorite part of the process and the bit that excites me the most is is um inviting the actors in as as collaborators in the same way that i would with a cinematographer with a with an editor that, that um that i talk predominantly about the intention of the scene and how i want the audience to feel and then you know the these the cast have this incredible toolbox of of um uh they've got this incredible ability to then take that and using these 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 tools that i have no knowledge or understanding of completely create these moments of of magic and and get the audience uh to to uh to have the experience we want them to to have but but they're invited then in on that process as opposed to me talking about well you know your your character uh got this this present for their birthday when they were when they were 12 years old and that really led this so not too much chain back, of events. backstory more like well, I just the don't story. think it's, if it's useful to, if it's useful to them but really it's about really we're there to serve the audience we're there to give the audience an experience and we should all be in, in that together and I think the more that you kind of invite collaborators into that huddle and we're all aiming at the same thing just the better the result becomes mm. just just to follow up on the the intention side of things so now that you're sort of more focused on the performance, although it's an extremely sort of visual film, if you have a situation where it's kind of, okay, the actors aren't quite feeling like they need to, that they've got, you know, clarity on where they need to go in the scene or where they're yeah. physically going in the scene, do you try and solve it from a sort of a visual point of view and change the camera angle? Or do you go more into the, if the intention is there for both teams, it should all align? Like, how do you sort of find I that balance? Think, I think the scene, I think... N- but this probably isn't true of scare scenes because scare scenes is so when you're doing a scare scene it's so much about what are you seeing and what are you not seeing it's so much about that box that you put on the world but i think if you're doing a dramatic scene it should be able to work nine times out of ten without any cameras up you should you should feel as though you can watch it from a wide shot and it doesn't feel too contrived um and that being said anyone who's ever made a movie knows that there are cheat codes you know if if some if you're not feeling a moment where you're meant to be kind of um uh, uh 
experiencing the kind of inner dilemma of a character you you know you go on a wider lens you put the camera closer you put it on a slider you do a little push in at that moment the audience feels something there are little cheat codes definitely but i think if you rely on that too much the audience feels that it's um it's shallow and unearned so um you've got to you've got to i think be able to stand right next to the actors and not look at the monitor and still get the same feeling and uh you know the 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 biggest scene in this movie is is um the scene between David Dasmalchian's Lester Billings and Chris Messina, which is which is the the scene which comes wholesale from from King. That's the short story, this therapy scene of uh, 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 Lester Billings talking about his kids all being killed by the creature, and that was a scene that we were all anxious about. It was the scene that comes directly from King. It was the scene that we knew that if we fucked it up, would be um, they'd be hell to pay. And I remember that scene, we rehearsed it before cameras were even up and you could feel the electricity in the room. You could feel in that moment it was going to be a special scene. And um, and then that just makes my job a lot easier because I'm there to support as opposed to um, try and magic up this this feeling in an audience. It's already it's already there and everything else is is about just, you know, you, you only want to do as much as you need to as a filmmaker in that scene. You don't want to... Um, it's such a joy when you have to do less, you know, there's a scene as well in this movie that I'm really proud of, of, um, it's just, it's just Chris and Sophie talking. He, he, he comes into her room after a particularly traumatic day and sits on the side of her bed. And, uh, we shot like two cameras. We cross, cross shot. Uh, we had camera on him, camera on her, you know, mid, mid shot. We did it a couple of times. It was beautiful. I had six other shots planned. You know, I was going to go in, I was going to push in, I was going to do close-up of her hand playing with the bed sheet and all this kind of stuff. Didn't need it. And when you realize that you don't need it, you've got the performance, um, that's the that's the best feeling because you know that it's not something you're going to have to manufacture in the edit. Yes. What happens when you struggle? Like, the performance isn't where you want it. Like, you talked about the times where you did have it, and those scenes yeah. are fantastic. And the Lester Billings scene is wonderful because it's so underplayed it's not what you think it's going to be and it just rises and rises mm. this tension fantastic work what about when it doesn't what happens when you you know you're on set if someone's tired they've come back from lunch yeah yeah how do you deal with that and how do you then like you say we've got these tricks these tools is there anything else that you do to try and make it work for you you can try i mean there's two there's two different approaches you, you can take and and uh and thankfully i didn't have to do this the very much on this movie but you know you you sometimes become more of a collector and you just you try a lot of stuff out and you're trying to collect moments that will then be kind of jigsawed together into something um and it won't be that there's any one definitive take on the day that feels like we got it but they'll, there's like an internal meter in your head that that um that clicks when you know you've got enough coverage to put something together that's going to be um that's going to be workable or and i think this is this is where i always tend to lean you realize that you're pushing in the wrong direction and that there's a version of the scene that that's um that's more within grasp or that's maybe you haven't thought of like rather if it's a scene where you know you imagine the character is going to be um bursting into tears and fall fall to their knees and it just doesn't feel like just doesn't feel like you're going to get the best version of of that scene and whether that comes from the source material or whether that comes from being being tired or the actor just doesn't want to take it there um you 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 want to be open to other interpretations of the scene and there might be there might be something whereby the actor does very little 
but you get just you get a feeling by looking them in the eye that 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 their their heart is broken on the inside and you don't need tears to be streaming down their face and the audience is still going to have that same experience and it really comes down to that you know it's like the the purpose of the scene is to make the audience feel a certain way is to give the audience a certain bit of information to give them a certain experience and so long as you leave feeling like you've got the material to um to honor that intention that the audience doesn't feel shortchanged or like they're watching a patchwork quilt version of a scene um then normally it's okay and i think that's a that's a big lesson i think for filmmakers as well is not forcing the tears because it's much better to have a different emotion that's fully realized even if it's a lesser sort of on the scale of intensity but it's authentic and you can relate to it as an audience and then maybe the tears will come in another scene and it's been earned more yes um but when you try and push it and it doesn't happen or it's like a sort of a hand in the head sort of tears and and they're not real it's actually it's actually worse worse to have that than it is to not have it yeah yeah Um, agreed that's a big that's a that's a big lesson that i think filmmakers you know especially low budget filmmakers should learn is that it's not it it looks worse if you if you do a bad version of a of a well-intentioned scene than if you find some other way around it you know if you've if you and it it works on a budget level as well if you're making a movie for not very much money and um you want to do a car chase People aren't going to care. Yeah, people aren't going to care that you made this car chase for for a fiver, and it like, mm-hmm. and it's pretty impressive for a, for a movie made for no money. Yeah, they're going to compare you to Fast and the Furious X. You know, if yeah. it's not if it's not something that gives them as visceral as experience as that, then you come at it in a different way. Shoot it in a different way. Shoot it in a way that's that's intense. But um, the audience is never going to cut you slack because right. of how the movie was made. Mm-hmm. So, so what what was the hardest? part of the shoot like if we had to maybe talk about a key sequence that you maybe had the most challenges with i'd be interested to know it's the finale the finale because it's such a you know it's we're in the realm of action horror by this point it's less um things lurking in the shadows you're seeing the creature um or or, or rather you're not seeing the creature because there's nothing there on the day there's just uh we had a, a 3d printed boogeyman head on a stick did you really? Yes. That, um, wow. That, that was slathered in KY jelly and uh, was able to be... <laughs> we'll win there. Yeah. And, and was able to be there just as a lighting reference so Eli could light it and then we could mm-hmm. show the VFX team, well, this is what it really looks like in a real space with real light glistening off it. And the actors, I'm and The actors, mm-hmm. yeah. But the act, you know, me running at them with a, with a head on a stick yelling is not as scary as a boogeyman. Ch- well, mm-hmm. maybe it is. But um, the... the, the uh, it was <laughs> yeah it was all of these things all these things we were talking about it's like getting the level of performance from the actors when they don't have anything um to to bounce off and they don't have really an idea of how the sequence is coming together i mean like the first thing i did is i acted out the entire sequence for them i was playing their parts and the creature and oh, wow. it, yeah. like like i just did a one man one man oh, show, show. Great. Uh, so they could see what was going on but it's not really a very good uh representation of what the scene's going to ultimately look or feel like mm. so they a lot of it had to be on on faith uh and then it was the biggest uh most involved vfx sequence i'd ever shot so i had to feel confident that i'd got all the pieces to to cut this scene together we're working with kids who can work only limited hours. We're working with fire. We're working with a VFX creature. And every time you do a VFX shot of this creature, um, 
you basically have to shoot the shot three times. You have to go, you have to um, shoot it once uh, with our creature perform with the bobbles on it. Then you have to shoot it once with the empty background. Then you have to shoot it once with they uh, the VFX team running. They've got like a silver shiny ball that they kind of wave around, so you get the reflections and the sense of the, the space. So every time you do a VFX creature shot, it takes three times as long. So we we had all of that. We had a, a very limited um, time to shoot it in, and you just. It was one of those few times where where I left and I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we got that. Mm. Let's see, you know. Mm. And you don't know if you've got it until months later when you get the preliminary VFX in uh, because you're just editing empty spaces. No, I mean, I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that sequence. And I I look at it and I see things that I could have done, but but I know that in that moment – I did. We all did above and beyond to try and make that scene work in the time that we had. Yeah, you did it. Like I say, it worked. It did. Oh, uh, you should be very proud of what you did and your team. You. It's really good. Let's just jump back slightly to how you got, you know, the role of directing The Boogeyman. Mm. It is a very well known Stephen King book. Um, Beckham Woods, you know, flying with their work as well. Yes. Um, talk us through, and this is supposed to be really interesting for our filmmakers before we jump back even further, yeah. how you got to the pitch and then how you pitched it yeah well it was coming off the back of host which was you know this movie that we did mm-hmm. in 2020 we we shot uh during the lockdown on zoom and uh you know it, it, it nobody in the uk really gave a shit about host like you know it was I we did. were kind of you did yeah yeah who really cared giles was the one person who cared about <laughs> i haven't seen it but um, i would have cared yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic the, the, the um you know every, the, the uk film industry kind of Gave a collective shrug and a pat on the head. You know, well done. You've done a little, you know, silly little horror movie. Um, come back when you've, when you've done a real movie. Everyone in America, on the other hand, went nuts for it. And I got offered every single thing under the sun. Most of it was terrible. But I got this um, script for the, for the Boogeyman that uh, was a story that I remembered mm-hmm. as a kid. Had really fucked me up. Uh, it was obviously Stephen King, which is, you know, that's it's nice nothing nothing bonus. to sniff at. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I read it and, you know, the the script was, it's a very different movie from what we ended up making, but there was like the, the bones of it were really solid and Beckenwoods had done a really admirable job on, on a lot of it. And, uh, it was just one of those ones and, you know, this, this, this will probably come across as, as arrogant, but I felt, I felt like I knew, oh, my voice went there. Uh, mm. I felt like I knew exactly what to do with it. I felt like I knew exactly how to do it. I knew exactly what it needed. Um, and I knew the best version of this movie that, um, that we could make and so i i went into that pitch um also kind of knowing that that uh you know off the back of host i was getting a lot of opportunities and it wasn't like i, I was i was um desperately uh that i desperately needed the job it was that i that i had um i i had a very clear take on it and i knew that the best version of this movie would be one that was uh that was kind of classy and and well made and uh that that refocused the movie to be about its its child characters originally it was originally it was much more in the world of the adults and will the therapist was the main character and it was a kind of totally different story um but i knew that you know that that as soon as people heard the boogeyman they were going to roll their eyes it's a, it's an objectively silly title but hmm. it's an iconic character it's the first thing that we're all scared of as kids and if i could put the audience back into feeling like that terrified kid and make the boogeyman scary again and treat that title as a prestige title uh that that'd be a movie worth doing and so i you know i pitched them you know just like i said before ordinary people meets poltergeist Mm -hmm. um 
Was it like a visual pitch or just a spoken pitch? Just a spoken pitch. Um, and I threw, out, I threw out a lot of references and it was a lot of it was about changes that I think needed to happen to the script. And I was very definitive about that. And, um, you know, I think... Um, Oh, it's something really smart to say then, but it's gone out of my head. It was, it was, it was it, a great, yeah, it, yeah. it was a great answer. We'll fill in the gap. Yeah, the jet lag, uh, <laughs> the jet lag took it. Um, oh no, I know. I suppose this is this is the advice that I would give to filmmakers who are making the leap up from indie features into studio filmmaking. Is like I've seen a lot of um, this was this was a totally smooth process. Like Boogeyman is as much my film as Host is my film. Um, th- there was there was complete like it was completely harmonious and very, very weird. Cause I was expecting, you know, to have to fight for everything. This mm-hmm. being a multi-million dollar, um, you know, 20th century Disney, all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I see when I see filmmakers who have nightmare experiences on studio movies, I think invariably what I see is filmmakers, uh, who are pitching one movie to get the job, and then secretly trying to make an A20, a slow A24 horror movie and thinking they can sneak it in. And then the studio, you know, the studios are smart. They know what they're doing. They can spot when you're trying to make, you know, you're trying to make, uh, oh, it comes, at, it comes at night rather than, mm-hmm. um, insidious. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and then you end up in the edit with something that's like, it comes at night, but cut to be a jump scare fest and yeah. it just doesn't work. And I think part of what made this such a kind of easy process is right from the start, um, I pitched the movie that I wanted to make, which is which is a kind of fun Friday night horror movie that you can watch. Uh, you know, you can watch it at Cineworld or, or mm. you know, with, with other chains are available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not an art. Yeah, it's not an art house movie. <laughs> no, uh, it's not an art house, art house movie. No. Although it's going to be, uh, you know, the best the best version of one of those one of those big mainstream I horror movies. Say, before, before, yeah. I'd say it will appeal to yeah. the art house crowd. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the Babadook. So. It's got yeah, that yeah, element. It's got drama in it. Yeah, yeah, huge drama yeah. for it. The big psychological backstory. Yeah, well, I think that's just, yeah, I wanted it to be to be well made, but yeah. it also, mm. you know, yeah, I love a jump scare. It's, yeah. got, it's you know, it's, yeah, of it's, course. it's, it's a movie we'll, that plays in, it's got, it plays with the language of, James Wan and those big, yeah. you know, those big uh, uh, commercial horror movies. Yeah. So, so. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. I'm, I'm very interested in how your careers progress because I, I heard about you years ago when you were making shorts. And your name was already like on the indie circuit, it was definitely out there. Mm-hmm. And, it's a good name. and I and I was thinking it's like okay, well, so you know this was this was even before you'd done features, I think. And I remember yeah. thinking like, when's he going to do a feature? Like yeah. you know what's happening when he's already got hype around him? Like why isn't he doing a feature? So then cut forward to okay, you're not too fussed about <laughs> pitching to Disney. Like how yeah. did you go from a, a guy that was maybe like I don't know if you were ever struggling, but if you were like trying to get your first feature made and trying to like break into that world to being someone that, that is getting offers and maybe can be a bit more laid back about, you know, your career. Yeah. I mean, um, I was broken struggling for, for, for 10 years. You know, I, I, 
I actually, the first thing I ever did was a really low budget feature that I made when I was um, 17. Mm. The first thing I ever made, because I... I That's I, what I did as well when I was 18, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's because I, you know, I grew up in the countryside with no connection to the film industry and I didn't really know about short films. I didn't know that was the path you were meant to take. So I was just like, oh, I'm, you know, I go to the cinema and I watch these 90 minute movies. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I've got to do. So I made this movie that, um, you know, did it made a little bit of noise, you know, for, for, a, for a three grand, um, three grand indie drama. And it, you know, it, it was, it was like, it went on the BAFTA shortlist and it, it won a biffer and it like got, you know, it got mm. a bit of, um, got a bit of attention and I moved to London and immediately got my second feature set up, um, for, 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 more money than three grand but not very much money but and uh we were about six weeks away from shooting that with a great cast uh and a location in italy that we were going to shoot in we'd scouted we'd got our team together and then six weeks six weeks away from shooting it all fell apart the money fell through and i was stranded in london like with rent to pay and absolutely Mm. no money i'd made any money from developing it from writing it um and Mm. uh and then i had to kind of build everything up from there uh and it and it was exactly what I needed. I mean, that movie would have been a piece of shit if I'd made it then because I didn't. I hadn't learned lessons. I hadn't uh, figured out figured out who I was as a filmmaker or what I wanted to say. I was just wanted to kind of like skip the queue and get get to the front, which some some people managed to do. But I had to I had to pay my dues in commercials and short films and TV. I was doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, like if you look at it from a bird's eye view, it seems like uh, I did host and then worked with Blumhouse then worked with this, this worked with the studio mm-hmm. and then it all came from host it's not really what happened actually the short films um got me into a lot of these rooms and got me used to pitching um a couple of years before host a couple of years before host I was coming off the back of a short film called Dawn of the Deaf which mm-hmm. played oh, Sundance yeah, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. and then another one called Salt which mm-hmm. had kind of went viral and um and I'd managed to I'd taken a few trips to LA and found that um I was I was much more of a hot property in in America because they want to make the same kind of movies that I want to make quite frankly and nobody in the UK did. Uh so I was out there and I pitched and sold a bunch of bunch of movies. In fact it all it felt like such a kind of um it it none of it none of it felt real because I was you know I was surrounded by by a bunch of Americans and 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 everyone everyone suddenly wanted the thing that I was selling and so I was able to sell like three or four movies within the course of two years. And I got used to pitching and I started working with um, Sam Raimi on a project who's one of my heroes. And mm-hmm. I had to get used to being in a room with Sam Raimi and pitching him my ideas. And so I was, all of this had happened by the time host was made. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting any money for it. And I wasn't, um, you know, none of those movies had happened. They'd all kind of like fizzled into um, endless development, but I kind of got used to, to playing in that world. And so when I, when I, had all these opportunities off the back of host. Um, I was able to to go into those rooms with confidence and also the confidence of knowing that uh, I could always go and make another low budget thing like host uh, mm. that I, that off the back of host, I could, I could probably always get hundred grand here, hundred grand there, make, make something in that vein again. And I'd be quite happy to, to do that. I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good route in, um, I mean that's that's kind of what I did. I I did a super low budget one like that, and I, then I went back to doing shorts because yes. I was like, okay, I've I've done it now. I can prove to investors that I can actually see through a, a yes. feature, which it's I think important. You know, very important because a lot of people they spend years trying to get that first million pound film done, yeah. but they have they haven't ever done more than a short. Mm-hmm. So then you go into the shorts and you do the 
something a bit more polished that mm-hmm. shows you can actually make something good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of going on, on to that. Um, and I, I think it's a, I think it's a great learning curve. Um, yeah, for sure. Completely. Did you, did you have moments where you weren't sure it was going to happen? Um, like genuinely, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to make that first decent ish budget, um, you know, movie. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, it took, it took literally 10 years from that first movie I made when I was 17 to, to host. We shot, we shot it almost 10 years apart, 17 and I was 27 when we, when we made host. And, um, it's no, it's not lost on me that both times my career has taken a big step up has been because I've decided that things were taking too long and I just wanted to go out and make something it happened mm-hmm. when I was 17. Yeah. I went and just made this feature film with whatever resources I could pull together. We had a 3000 pound budget that was, that I saved up doing paper rounds and other nonsense. <laughs> and then we made host for, for not very much money. Um, just with whatever was lying around the house that quite literally. And, yes. uh, it's it's i think it's that's given me a confidence knowing i can always go back to that and also um it's uh it's it you know i made i made host and then all of these things that have been dwindling suddenly picked up steam so you're kind of um you're beholden to how slow the development process is but you can do things to kickstart it and you can kind of like you can you can remind people of uh the urgency with which they need to treat these projects and, and everything started moving much faster and it's happening again. Now the boogeyman's coming out, mm-hmm. things start to, to move again magically. Or, well, I mean, not right now because there's a rider strike on, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, otherwise, otherwise it's, it's really, it's a lot more in your control, that, maybe not in your control, but there, there are ways you can influence, um, your own career movements that, that, uh, that I need to constantly keep reminding myself of because it's always been self-generated. Mm. It's something we say on the podcast, said it from the very beginning, you have to make your own work. Yeah. You have to make things happen. Do not wait for the phone to ring. Do not wait for someone to email you, call you. Yeah. You're the one who makes things move. And Rob is a perfect example of that, of someone who has made things happen. If you don't do it, if you didn't, hadn't made host, mm. You wouldn't have made the boogeyman, potentially. Yeah. No, definitely not. Right? Definitely not. And that says everything, because Host was brilliant. I loved Host. And it was just, you know what I mean? We all kind of went, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we do that? And you know, the thing is, as well, you make something you make something like Host, which mm. was done, I had final cut on that. I, like, it was something that was yeah. done completely on my terms. Mm. And, you know, it was a big, was a big hit for it what it was. Yep. You're a whole host of reasons. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. It's great. Like I say, but then you're able to go into a room and when you say, no, I think the movie should, should be like this. Mm. People listen to you because you've had, you've had a track, you've got a track record. I think even if I had made the boogeyman without making host, if I had just come from short films, I would have been shouted down. My opinion wouldn't have had as much stock and it would have been a very different movie. So Mm. you, you build up a lot of um, people, put a lot more credence in your opinion. If you've, if you're a self, kind of self-starter. Yes. Going into the boogeyman then, you know, you're now talking big setups, big lights, big cameras, yeah. even though, like you said, at times it was just a, a small lamp here mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a, a light ball. But but that must have been... Moonball. Yeah, moonball. So, so. Yeah. that must have been daunting in some way, was it? Talk us through the mind mm-hmm. process of your prep of going into such a, you know, this is a multi-million pound Were film. Were you terrified? Yeah. yeah. Completely. I'm always terrified. I'm terrified starting host, even though that was just you know, terrified six of us. people on a Zoom call. I'm terrified right now. Um, that's why I'm someone's, make... someone's going to jump out at you behind yeah, the uh, yeah. lampshade behind you. It's going to happen. No, I put all my anxiety on screen. It's my mm. way of working through it. But, um, nice. No, the, the, um, yeah, I was worried because, you know, the last three, I, you know, I came from, I came from a TV 
not not a TV background, but I've been doing a lot of TV before yeah. host and dash cam. Um, but it had been three years since I'd been on a real set. You know, host and dash cam were literally shot on. They were literally shot on this iPhone. Yes. Um, so I was. <laughs> I was worried. Did you have a cat flashed up there? Yeah, yeah you still, yeah. still got the same <laughs> iPhone as exactly. well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I was worried that it would, um, that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't remember how to do it and it wouldn't, um, it would feel very different. And um, mm. this is a bit of advice that I, that I stole from Chris Nolan and try and always mm. impart to, to film students anytime I'm asked to speak is he, he was asked about the jump from Memento and following to, um, to like the Dark Knight movies. Yeah. And he said that, you know, the only difference really, is the walk to the set. You walk past and there's hundreds of people and you don't know what they're all doing and there's trucks and there's uh, camera gear and then you get to the set and you're, you, you find yourself inside this like inner sanctum with camera and actors and a story to tell mm. and it ultimately feels the pressures are the same um, and uh, you can get bogged down by all the rest of it but so long as you focus on that and so long as you prep as well one of the things that i did and would recommend anyone do when they're entering into the world of tv is try and be the person who knows the most in the room try and try and you know work extra hard on on prepping storyboarding knowing the scripts inside out knowing the characters inside out because everyone else is so busy running around you've got the showrunner who's you're shooting episode two and they're already thinking about episode eight um if you can be the person in the room who knows what's going on more than anyone else um it just puts everyone at ease and this movie i storyboarded every single every single frame of it and and knew the script inside out and just made sure that uh that every day i was the person who had the answers do you sort of prep in terms of different routes for actors as well like in terms of what choices they might make do you do that kind of side or is it more just story notes like um it's all it's all sorts i try and come up with um come up with things to talk to the actors about i try and i try and make sure that i know the intention of every scene so the actors can get on board with it and you know i try and um i try and kind of figure out um the moments that i want the actors to underline in the same way that i would underline things with a close-up i want them to know um we're going from this point to this point to this point and that's the that's the story i want you to tell me with your you know the set of tools that you have, like lead me through that story. I want to feel like you're guiding me through, you know, through this. Um, so, so in like, the way that only you can. So, as an example, it might be the older sister coming to terms and realizing from the start of the scene to the end of the scene that the boogeyman's real. Like, something yeah. like that. There's a, there's a moment. There's a moment where um, there's a moment where Sadie is singing a lullaby to her to her kid sister, mm. and and it's uh, it's her sister fall, falling asleep. But there's a moment that I wanted there where the sister um remembers that it's a that it's a lullaby that the mum used to used to sing and to feel comforted in that moment and then also to be hit with the with the the remembrance that the mum is gone and to have that kind of like bittersweet moment just all play out in her eyes and she does and she does it so beautifully um and it's and it's there um and i'm not doing anything it's all happening in the actor's face and um yeah, so just little moments like that that I that I want to feel as an audience member. It's brilliant. It's such a wonderful sense of loss, engagement. The Boogeyman is. I really enjoyed it. Honestly, thank I you. Absolutely brilliant movie. Everyone should watch and it. And a good drama as well. Yeah, very good drama oh, in glad, there. I'm glad. So well shot. 
it's like yeah. it's it's great so well done you congratulations thank you the boogeyman is out now go watch it in have a cinemas go have a boogie to this movie <laughs> be prepared to be scared shot but also to feel because that's what this movie does it's very emotional mm-hmm. very emotionally hefty movie and i think it's going to do very well for you and yeah it's very accomplished film yeah very accomplished film. oh Excellent. i appreciate it. it means a lot thank you yeah pleasure take care everyone go out there make your movies Uh, go do it as Rob says be inspired whether that's a short film whether it's a feature film but you've got to do it you've got to take the initiative and go ahead and do it and fight for it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next Tuesday as always Rob Savage you're a star thank you thanks Thanks, Rob take care everyone bye bye that was fun yeah Yeah. that was great better than a five minute one